Hi, I'm Kaylee Moore. And I'm Emma Samasco. Welcome to Freelance Writing Coach, your go-to podcast for building a freelance writing business. In each 20-minute episode, we'll do a deep dive into one area of business with the hope that our insights as successful freelance writers will educate and inspire you. This season is sponsored by Editor Ninja, the internet's favorite flat rate content editing service. Founded by veteran marketer and entrepreneur John Doherty, Editor Ninja provides professional editing services for a flat rate. No more nickel and diming over individual content pieces. Just subscribe and add content to your queue and your dedicated editor will get to work. Schedule a free editorial assessment with John today at editorninja.com demo. When you have a new client come to you for the first time, it's the first time you've ever worked with them, you really want to get that relationship off on the right foot. You want them to feel like they're going to be taken care of. You want them to see that you're a professional and you just want to get that project started off right so that there's the potential for that new client to become a long-term client and for it to blossom into a really good relationship, one that maybe you're working with them long-term or they're giving you referrals or all of these other wonderful things. So today we want to talk about things you should do when you're starting with a brand new client to make sure that you are getting that relationship off to a good start. And I guess like we can distinguish here between a new lead who's someone who just kind of gets in touch with you versus a new client. And I think today we want to talk about a new client. So in this scenario, the contract has been signed. You're ready to go. You're ready to get started with whatever project you've agreed upon. What are the things that you're doing at the beginning, Kaylee, to make sure that this relationship starts off off right? Yeah. I think that there are a few key things you should do. And this is kind of regardless of the industry or product that you are going to be writing about. So the first thing is to get really familiar with the company and whatever it is that they're selling, because it's really hard to write about things that you don't know about. So maybe that means getting a demo if it's software or ordering one of the company's products or requesting like a comp sample or something like that, just so you can kind of get familiar with what the customer would see on their end of the equation. I think it's also good to kind of take this sponge mentality towards soaking up as much information as you can about the company, its mission, like what is the past content that they've put out or ask for examples of past whatever type of writing project that you're working on. So you can see historically what that has looked like and sounded like and style wise kind of was formatted. And I think onboarding usually covers the basis for most of this, but sometimes companies just don't have much of an onboarding process in place. So you have to ask for these materials and assets and kind of set the tone and take the lead when you aren't provided those right off the bat. I don't think it's necessarily a bad sign if they don't have those things in place. Maybe it's just that they're a startup or they're growing really quickly and they haven't had a chance to develop those yet. But again, here's another opportunity where you could say, well, before we get into this project, I think it's really important to have some documentation around brand voice and things like that. So if that's something you do, there's an opportunity there to develop those and offer that as an additional project. Or If you don't do that, you could always recommend somebody who does because it's going to help you do your job better if you have that clarity going into things. What about you? What do you think? I agree with you that asking the questions and making sure that you're sort of immersing yourself within that company to understand like who they are, what their product is, 
all of that is really important. I mean, one thing that you said was you were kind of like, some companies don't have a very good onboarding process for freelancers. And I kind of take the stance of like, I would assume that none of them do because I just, I mean, maybe some do, but I think that it's actually on the freelancer's responsibility to say like, here are the things I need from you in order for this to be a success. So there are many ways that you can do this. You can request a list of materials um, and say like, hey, I'd like you to send me over. And you can say like, if you don't have any of these, that's fine. But you know, brand voice guideline. Uh, I'd like you to send me three articles on your current site that you like. I'd like you to send me three articles from other sites that you like. I'd like you to send me three competitor websites. Like you could do this in a form or you could just ask the questions. The way I do it is I call it a strategic discovery call. So when I have a new client, I hold one hour long kickoff call where I try and get through a lot of these questions with them of like, we've already discussed what the project is and what the scope is when we've done the proposal. But then once we've signed the contract and we're ready to go, I'm like, I want a refresher on like, why are we doing this? What do you care about? What are the next steps to get this done? What are the deadlines that we're going to do so that like we kind of start that project on the same page from that initial call? And I think that that works well for me and the work that I do, especially because oftentimes I am doing this like interview-based content where I'm ultimately going to be talking to subject matter experts so I or customers of my clients. So I really need to understand like what matters to you in these conversations. Who is it that I'm going to talk to? What is their background? Like I need more context than someone just kind of giving me a content brief. And sometimes working from a content brief is totally fine. But I think like talking about case studies as an example, and I guess what I, not even just case studies, I think it depends a little bit on what kind of thing that you're doing in terms of how to onboard. So like onboarding someone for writing blog articles is different from case studies, is different from web copy, is different from content strategy and those sorts of things. So it definitely needs, the process needs to be tailored to what you're providing. But I found with case studies, I need so much more information about the product itself than I do in writing blog content. Because blog content is often educational. It's maybe product adjacent, but it's maybe more dependent on desk research or, or interviewing a subject matter expert. Whereas like the case study is really about like the product itself, its values and benefits. And so like, I always am like, I need to do a product demo. If you don't have like a typical product demo, I want to meet with your sales team to hear how they talk about this. So I kind of like front load with those meetings. I mean, it's just what you said about like immersing yourself, but I feel like that aspect really helps me get up to speed. Yeah. I think it's, especially for somebody like me who doesn't really love being on the phone or taking additional meetings, this is especially important to get over at the beginning because if you can get some FaceTime with your main point of contact and kind of go through your list of questions that you have, that's just going to help you do a better job with the assignment itself. And I think sometimes just a 30-minute, let's get up to speed, let's get on the same page type conversation can be really, really helpful for that. I also think that you can do this asynchronously, like with Loom videos back and forth. Or Slack. Yeah. But I do feel like there's something important about actually speaking to the other person in real time, just because things might come up that you might not have thought to ask in a different conversational environment. It's also good for like building some initial rapport, I think. 
Yeah, totally about building the initial rapport. And that reminds me that like we've gotten so accustomed to doing Zoom calls and having to be on video, but like phone calls usually work perfectly well for this, depending on what kind of information that you need. But I think video calls can add a little bit of stress for some people. And just saying like, well, let's have a phone call to to talk through some of this stuff is a really viable alternative. A lot of times like I do my kickoff calls over the phone and people are like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad this is just a phone call and I don't have to like be on video right now. Everybody just wants to be in their pajamas, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, it gives you the flexibility. Like you could sort of pace around your office while you're on the phone. So that's something to think about too. I also think that when you're first getting started with a client, one thing that early stage freelance writers sometimes get in their heads about is asking too many questions because they feel like it'll make them look inexperienced or like they don't understand. However, I think that the best freelance writers I've worked with, and personally, like this is the approach that I always take as well, is be really curious and ask all of the questions that you have right at the beginning as you're working throughout the process because. I think people would always rather have you ask than make assumptions and then everybody has to do more work or the project takes longer, whatever it is. I think it's important to get over that belief that like asking questions makes you look like stupid or silly or inexperienced. Kaylee, I totally agree about the asking questions thing. I find that when a freelance contractor of mine asks me questions, I'm like, oh, they give a crap. I never feel like there's like such thing as a stupid question. I'm about to go on maternity leave, right? So like I just hired someone who wrote something like fairly technical for me. And I just like, I feel like so overloaded right now. Like I just couldn't get to it myself. I didn't expect to outsource it. And it was the first time I worked with this person. And he asked me like so many questions about the audience. And he also just asked questions like, didn't have to do with the content, like, are you sure you're okay with me writing about this? I don't have that much experience in this area. Like, here's what I'll do to research this. But like, the question was kind of like, are you sure you want to like move forward? And I felt like even asking those kind of questions and being honest about where he was made me want to move forward with him more. And he ended up doing like a really fabulous job with the content. But I just felt like he was being like really thoughtful about like, hey, like I'm happy to research this, but like this isn't, something I specialize in. So I think that, yeah. And I just think that asking questions is like, that's really the only way that you can like gain the information and expertise. And one thing that I sometimes do with new clients too, is I provide more check-ins almost. So like rather than just like turn in an article for them, I turn in like an outline and I'm like, let's talk about this outline. It does this meet your expectations. And when I say talk about it, it doesn't necessarily mean like hopping on a super long meeting. It's like sending them an email saying, hey, here's the outline. Does this, is this in line with what you're thinking? And then kind of, then they say yes, presumably, and we do a draft and it's the same thing of like, is this in line with what you're thinking? What are the revisions you want to see? And again, having that process be like kind of collaborative and asking questions throughout that process, as opposed to just like sending something finished over with like no explanation for what it is or, right? Yeah. Yeah. That can get you into a sticky situation pretty quickly. I think the other thing too is from the freelancer side of things, it's a really good idea to go into these onboarding periods or sessions or whatever you want to call them when you're starting with a new client and 
bring some documentation from your end of things too, so that while you're asking these questions and getting up to speed and, and absorbing all this information about the company, you're also providing your point of contact with sort of your documented process and what that looks like and benchmarks for when certain deliverables will be realistically delivered. Yeah, almost like a project plan or something, right? Yeah. Again, that really just reinforces your professionalism and makes you look wonderful. I think the other thing too is expectations around how you work best and information on that can be really helpful. So the thing that comes to mind for this is like a feedback document. So what does good feedback, helpful feedback look like versus very like ambiguous, vague? Oh yeah. Don't you have a document like that that you send clients? When do you send it to them? That goes like right after I've gotten the green light and we're moving on to like getting into the project. So not in the initial back and forth about figuring out if this is going to be a good fit for both of us. But once we've both agreed and we're going through the process of like contracts have been signed, all of that, and we're going through the process of, okay, you've given me the brief. I've gotten up to speed. Here's what you need to know from my end. I need to create one of those. Like, I think I've seen yours before and I think it's genius. And I've seen other people do it. Of Like, here's examples of good feedback. Here's examples of not so great feedback. I think that that is like so awesome to provide someone with. And I think all of these things along the way are like showing the client that you've like thought this through and that makes you look so much more professional and makes them feel a lot more confident. What I do is what once they sign everything, this is you're kind of reminding me of it because at my step in the process, I have this email that I send them where I basically say, here's what you can expect from me. And here's what I expect from you. And they're like two different bulleted lists. And I just like pulled it up as we were talking because I basically say like, okay, I'll respond to your emails within 72 hours at most, unless I'm on vacation. And if I go away, I'll tell you. I'm happy to join your communication channels. Many clients add me to Slack. If you want to book a meeting, use my scheduling link. And then I have like so things like a note on turnaround time. And I say like, once we receive a complete brief, this is like how long it's going to take. I have, then I have another note on revisions where it's kind of like everybody needs to consolidate their feedback before I do that round. And here's how long it's going to take. So I have like that. Here's what you can expect from me. And there's like, I don't know, five or six bullets. And then what we expect from you. And I think this is also like kind of important to let someone know it's similar to that editing, that feedback doc where you're like, here's the feedback that would be really helpful to me. So I kind of have a lot of them are the same, like respond to our emails within 72 hours. Even if you say, I don't know, let me get back to you. <laughs> um, like pay your invoices on time. I have that one. Um, make yourself available for meetings as needed. And then I have this we talked about in the earlier in the episode. Provide us with all the information I need to be successful. This includes sales decks, phone calls, product demos, anything else that can help us understand your business. And then like, finally, I have like, be honest and transparent. If anything doesn't feel right, share it with me so I can do my best to make things better. So I'm just like saying that I'm kind of trying to like set up the relationship of like, here's how we're going to work together, right? And then the nice thing about this is that if any like icky stuff kind of comes up, it's almost like I can refer back to it, right? Like if I have a client that emails me constantly and is like, why haven't you gotten back to me? Like, where are you? Blah, blah, blah. I say like, hey, remember I said I respond to your emails within 72 hours. And 72 hours is so long, by the way. Like, it's like, I never take 72 hours. It's just like, I am trying to like set 
expectation. And what I've heard from people too is like set the expectation so that it seems like they're never going to be able to get in touch with you and then like respond to them immediately, right? Same with like the the book a meeting thing. Like if you want to book a meeting, use my scheduling link because that is so that if there's a client that's like, hey, can you hop on a meeting right now? Or when can you meet tomorrow? I'm like, hey, you remember the scheduling link? (laughs) Because we've all had that happen, right? For sure, for sure. It's so frustrating because you're like, wait, I'm trying to actually get work done. I can't just pop on a meeting. Like you can't pop your head into my office. It's not that type of relationship. Yeah. So yeah. Final kind of considerations here that I'm trying to think through as I'm getting started. I think regular check-ins are a good idea. I know that you said you kind of proactively give updates on where things are at, but we talked about this in the video update. You can use a tool like Loom or whatever you use to record quick videos to give almost like a weekly summary on where you're at if it's a longer term project and say, okay, here's what I completed this week. Here's what's on my docket for next week. Here are the questions I have for you. If you have questions for me, you can email or send one of these videos back. It's just a really nice way to proactively communicate. So it's not necessarily part of the getting started process, but I think it's good to let your clients know that that's something you're going to be doing along the way. So you can kind of introduce that. The other note I want to say here is that it's really easy to get carried away with the documents you create as part of this process. Oh, yeah. This is a good point. Yeah. If you have like an eight to 10 page onboarding document that you've put together with all of your process and expectations, like no client is going to read that. They're just not. It's not realistic. So like a one pager, I think is perfect. Yeah. Putting it within email is really great. Yeah, I agree that like you sometimes get some kind of onboarding thing and you're like, oh my gosh, this is like way overwhelming. There's way too much information. Like, and the client really just needs some information (laughs) that is going to help them along the way. They don't need like everything and it doesn't need to be like overblown or super fancy either. Yeah, this is not Moby Dick. Like this is a somebody who's in a hurry, like... What is a one pager you can give them that's going to give them the most important stuff? You can put any other detailed process stuff you want in your proposal or contract or workflow guide, whatever you have. But I think the essential stuff needs to be, like you said, even in just an email format where they don't have to do any extra clicking to a PDF or something. That is what makes sense for both parties who are most likely very busy and probably only going to skim it anyways. Yeah, actually, that kind of reminds me. And we have a separate episode about proposals, but and proposals is like kind of prior to the process we're talking about. But I know that with proposals, there's this temptation to go like really overboard and have like all this like fancy, like beautiful PDF. And I do use PDFs for proposals, but I have been in the shoes where like I when I was redesigning my website, I got proposals from like designers and also developers and the ones that were like the most straightforward and easy to read and understand were the ones that were like the most effective for me as a client. And it wasn't about like all, in fact, the ones that were like overblown with all the graphics and the whatever, I was like, there's no there there. Right. And I think the same is true of like an onboarding process. And I think it's not just like the documents you create, but it's also like if you're making a client jump through all of these hoops and like doing unnecessary meetings because it's part of your process. Like that's not the way you kind of want to do the minimum necessary to get the maximum result. Yeah. Final note here is I think that one thing you should absolutely never do is put a client, especially a new client into some sort of email automation workflow for your onboarding. 
because they're going to market as spam or they're going to just see you as, oh my gosh, they've opted me into some email marketing that I didn't ask for. What is this? And it could get your primary email address blocked. So I did have a sub, not a subcontractor, but a professional that I hired for helping me with my email marketing. And I got put into a workflow that he had kind of automated as part of his process because I get it. Yeah, but it's not bad. You know, that's the service he focuses on, but I didn't want to be part of that. And it was giving me all this information that I didn't need, that I didn't care for. And it felt, it just felt kind of spammy. I didn't like that. So make sure that these things that you're sending, it's not a workflow. Like this is not multiple emails that you're sending over the course of several days. This is like, realistic back and forth between two human beings. Yeah, that's a really good point because you're not onboarding them to a software product. Right. It's not that serious. It's not like a, well, it's not like a scaled experience, right? Like you're having a one-on-one relationship with someone and it can feel like incredibly spammy to a client if you're like dumping them into your random emails. And I've heard freelancers be like, well, I need to educate them. Like I need to reinforce my value proposition. That's not the way to do it. If you want to have an email newsletter that you send to your clients, that's one thing, but this is not part of this process. Don't you think though that once they've signed on to you, like that part is sort of like the lead nurturing part. Whereas like once they've said yes, like you've closed the deal. Yeah, you've closed the deal. Exactly. Yeah. And I think it's another thing if you want to check in with them or even send like a mass email using BCC later on in the year to give an update on new services that you're offering, new products or just like a quick update. That's one thing. But yeah, that's very different. So just something to consider. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Freelance Writing Coach podcast. If you want more tips, tricks, and resources for building your business, visit freelancewritingcoachpodcast.com.